following recording is from the third Sunday of Advent at Van City Church from the series, The Long Winter Breaks. In the fall of 1987, two months before Christmas, a one and a half year old girl was playing in her aunt's backyard and she fell into an abandoned water well. The opening was uh, 22 feet deep and it was only eight inches wide. So it was inaccessible to rescue workers who began a desperate scramble to rescue that little girl. She was pinned inside this tiny shaft, unable to move with one leg above her forehead. And an hour after she'd fallen, she was still there. And then two hours later, rescuers were still deliberating on how to get her out. They were still deliberating as the day became night. And the best plan, they agreed, would be to drill a parallel shaft vertically and then move horizontally toward the bottom of the well where the tiny girl was wedged. And this would be complicated and difficult, and worst of all, it would take time. So that night became the next morning, and the little girl was still pinned inside this eight-inch wide cylinder, steeped in darkness, 22 feet below the Earth's surface. Twelve hours later, she was still there. As rescuers raced forward with the tunneling effort, concerns mounted that she had not survived, so a microphone was lowered into the well, and the surface team could hear the little girl, 22 feet down, crying for her mother. She went on crying as the hours weared on, moaning in pain and fear, unable to move, as 24 hours passed. Sometimes she sang quietly to herself, notably, apparently, the Winnie the Pooh theme. As the rescue effort barreled on, news coverage proliferated around the country as millions of Americans watched in anxious desperation. A medical team decided against sending food or water down into the well, fearing that if she had suffered some kind of internal injuries during the fall, this could do further damage. And so a second day passed, 48 hours alone in the dark, unable to move, crying and hungry and terrified. It would take another 10 hours, 58 hours altogether for rescuers to break through the rocks surrounding the shaft and carefully pull the girl from the tiny prison that had been her home for nearly three days. But they did. They pulled her to safety. She was rescued. She's alive today. It's hard to imagine what might have happened in the mind and in the soul of a tiny girl, not even two years old, who for 58 hours was hurting and scared and unable to move as she called for her mother and no one came. News footage played around the world showcasing the girl's mother, nearly mad with panic and anxiety. She scrambled amongst paramedics and minors, helpless to save her daughter herself, helpless against the horrible mar march of time. And in news broadcast after news broadcast, the terrible, ominous refrain rang out in homes across the country, time is running out. This is an Advent story, 
The world huddled around the dull glow of their television sets in 1987, momentarily unified in the hope that this little girl would be rescued before it was too late. One article I read this week said that, and I quote, the world held its breath. Now, if you grew up in or around church culture, then maybe, like me, the celebratory weeks leading up to December 25th have been described as marking the occasion of Jesus' birthday. Baby Jesus, we often called him. Or maybe the Christmas season you know was and is less superficial. Baby Jesus is there, sure, but it's about more than just a birthday party because we have no idea as to the month or date of Jesus' actual birth anyway. And Christmas, many argue, is more like a resounding celebration of what in theology is called the incarnation. The way John's gospel tells it, God became a person and came to live with us. Peace on earth, a host of angels sang over dirty and terrified shepherds, goodwill toward men. And because of this, some others of you may have known a Christmas that was neither a superficial birthday nor a theological observance as much as it was a sentimental Coca-Cola commercial when an otherwise awful humanity calls a kind of collective yuletide truce and opts instead for some of that peace on earth that those angels were going on about. Santa himself describes the arrangement in the 1994 remake of A Miracle on 34th Street. He says, I'm a symbol of the human ability to be able to suppress the selfish and hateful tendencies that rule the major part of our lives. Says Santa, I don't know, or some crazy old guy, you'll have to see the film. And things are nostalgic and cozy and you drink hot chocolate, Amy Grant's heavenly voice regales us, Kevin's parents forget him another year. The Grinch repents. Buddy the Elf goes on eating that syrupy Pop-Tart pasta for the millionth time. The Mogwai eat after midnight. And I've known all these ways to keep Christmas. Jesus' birthday party, theologically observant, sentimental Coca-Cola commercial. But Advent is different. Advent is a sacred season kept by followers of Jesus across many traditions and denominations the world over and for centuries. And for the uninitiated, Advent often comes across as the Christmas buzzkill because Advent acknowledges each of these traditional ways to keep Christmas, but it presses each of them to move beneath the surface. Jesus was born, baby Jesus. But why is that reason to celebrate exactly? God became a human and he came to live with us. But to do what? The season is marked by the angelic refrain, 2,000 years old, peace on earth, goodwill to men. Why? And when Advent presses the sentimental or superficial holiday celebration, when Advent pierces the shallow exterior, it finds beneath it a terrible darkness. And Advent asks us, Look long and hard into the dark. In David Fincher's neo-noir masterpiece, Seven, the film's only line of voiceover is delivered by William Somerset. He's having witnessed such overwhelmingly ugly brutality in his career as a homicide detective. Somerset tells the viewer, Ernest Hemingway once wrote, The world is a fine place and worth fighting for. I agree with the second part. 
This week, I thought about that famous girl in the well story from 1987, the way millions cared deeply all at once about this tragic thing that was happening. But rather than feeling warmed, my cynicism gnawed at me. I thought of the way that all over the world, every single day, there are horrors unfolding. I think maybe the world is particularly sympathetic for the plight of this little girl and her family because it was a freak accident. The well, they said, was covered by a heavy rock and the girl's mother had gone inside for only a moment to answer her ringing telephone. But while this was happening and the world looked on in anxious anticipation, other children were overlooked. While this was happening, other children suffered in the dark, not freak accidents, but victims of evil and predators. And often, time does run out. No one drills a rescue tunnel, so to speak. No waiting world sends thoughts and prayers. No one comes to the rescue. Over the years, I've read many stories about such things, and it was stories like these that eroded my baseline belief in human goodness, the belief with which most of us, I think, are born. I wasn't a happy optimist shouting from the rooftops about human goodness or anything like that. I think most of us take for granted a baseline belief in human decency that we kind of need in order to operate in society. Most people don't go around arguing their belief in human decency at a philosophical level, but you can see our need for this belief to endure in our unwillingness to inconvenience ourselves with stories of unimaginable horror that unfold every day of the long calendar year. These stories needle the protective bubble of our comfortable world, and we need that bubble. So if something truly depraved happens, we'd rather not know about it, unless it's packaged in a true crime podcast or a Netflix docuseries for our entertainment, and it feels safe and far away. I'll spare you the details, but I remember the moment that I relinquished my faith in the goodness of mankind. I was doing research for a book I was writing, and my research led me to an incident, a crime, so awful that it shook the very foundations of belief in a good world with good people, and even, quite frankly, a good God. And physically shaken, I remember sitting back at my chair and praying, my God, how can you love a world like this? And that is an Advent story. To understand the Advent story, we need to adjust the details of our girl-in-a-well metaphor. So in our Advent story, the child didn't fall accidentally, but she was thrown into the well by someone more bigger and more powerful who used both things, their size and their power, to do evil against the small and the powerless. In our Advent story, the child was not desperately pursued by miners and paramedics, but hidden away and made to suffer. But in our Advent story, a rescuer came. And the rescuer climbed down into this pit of misery, laying down his own life to rescue this child. And in our Advent story, that big and powerful and evil person who threw the child down the well, they will be made small and powerless when they answer to the girl's rescuer. Thus, we read in tonight's Advent text, Isaiah 35, strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way, say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance 
with divine retribution, he will come to save you. In a world with religious reverence for the individual, that every person is perfect and amazing exactly as they are and that nothing anyone wants to do or be is ever wrong or mistaken or warped because the individual finds their own truth and whoever fails to celebrate that truth is oppressive. A world like that has no paradigm for judgment. But in the Bible, judgment comes always at the side of redemption. The heart's cry for salvation is simultaneously the prayer for God to judge. Be strong, do not fear, your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. And Advent is a time to acknowledge that things are not as they should be and that we are in need of a judge to condemn and destroy evil for that is how the world is saved. In her book on Advent, Fleming Rutledge calls this work of looking into the darkness a kind of repentance, saying, in Advent, where faith in mankind comes to an end, the message of Christmas begins. Much work has been done in recent memory to erase the anger of God. God's anger conflicts us, understandably, understandably so, Squinting at problematic Bible stories with our trauma and parent wounds, we, we want gifted theologians and Bible scholars to tidy these embarrassing passages from the page. But I can tell you that on that afternoon when I read about the crimes that undid my baseline belief in human goodness, I felt a number of things. I felt heartbroken. I felt deeply grieved. I felt seized by a kind of sadness. And I felt furious. And I mean, when I say that it wasn't a rage directed at the story's victimizer, per se, it was a profound evil against, or a profound anger against evil itself. And then I imagined how God must feel. Advent is a complicated season because when we answer the call to peer into the horrible dark, to remember and to feel our great need for rescue before we celebrate the rescue, when we do this, we discover that we want to be rescued, but we deserve to be judged. We are both the child in the well and we are the monster who put the child there. And realizing this reveals the great and beautiful twofold scandal of Jesus coming to save and to judge. And the Christmas story is about both. It was said of Jesus before Mary even felt him stirring in her womb, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and he will be called son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. In the announcement of Jesus' conception and birth, the angel is already looking beyond the nativity where many Christmas seasons kind of begin and end and to the future reality of a kingdom that will never end where evil and death are forever destroyed. And when this work is completed, we should be destroyed as well. And yet we read again and again in the scriptures, passages like this one, sing, daughter Zion. Shout aloud, Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, daughter Jerusalem. 
The Lord has taken away your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. The coming of Jesus reveals what the Bible calls the foolishness of God. That this Messiah, whose kingdom will never end, arrives not not in a royal palace, but amongst livestock and manure. That God himself comes to us not as a bronze warrior fixed to a heavenly chariot of fire, but as a human baby, unable to lift his own head. This is the God who rescues us from our own evil. The God who turns back our enemy and who takes away our punishment. And his good and gracious arms are open to all the horrible rabble of humanity. And many of us have found a home there. And Advent is our time to remember our story, the story of a broken world before we celebrate the holy night when everything changed. And many will have nothing to do with the open arms of God and God will honor their freedom and grant their desire to remain in evil when evil is destroyed, but evil will be destroyed. And Advent is a season when we consider what it means to be wedged helplessly in an eight inch wide cylinder with one leg pinned over our forehead calling for help, waiting and waiting and waiting. And the darkness consumes And hope trails off and dies. And a minute like that would be agony. But hours pass. Days pass. Time is running out. And as our blurred vision begins to fade, suddenly his arms are around us and he's coming not only to rescue us, but every person trapped in every dark place. And then... He is going to do something about the darkness itself and the darkness will be no more. Let's pray and ready our hearts for the coming of Jesus. Thanks for listening to Van City. You can connect with us and find more teachings and available resources at www.vancity.church. You can support Van City financially at vancity.church/give.